Hello, and welcome to the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. Hello, everyone. Uh, he's Chris Kirk. Good morning, Chris. Hi, Todd. And I am Todd Mitten, and we're happy to have a chance to visit today about a topic uh, in aviation that could be near and dear to many pilots' hearts, and that is uh, near mid-air collisions. I don't think we're going to talk about any actual mid-air collisions, are we, Chris? <laughs> well, that's uh, why it's near. Yes, near, near mid-air. mid-air collisions. But uh, as uh, longtime pilots, both Chris and I have had experiences, and I'm sure some of our listeners have also had experiences with a near mid-air collision, and we'd be curious to know how you dealt with that, and we'll offer a little bit of uh, thoughts on on how we dealt with it. Chris, uh, you want to get us started? Maybe a story from your days flying uh, T-38s? Sure. Yeah, I've got, uh, you know, what's interesting, Todd, is it's just one of these things that um, most of my stories involve being in positive control, right? In radar, radar control. Sure, sure. And uh, seemingly think that you're safe and you're going to get uh, a little bit of guidance from air traffic control, or, or maybe you're a... Uh, Maybe you're a TCAS junkie or an ADSB junkie, and you think that you're going to be safe by keeping your head inside, and and so that's where it's bitten me in the past. But uh, I think one of the most hair-raising ones and one of the quickest ones I ever had was I had a student. We were flying uh, the T-38 up around uh, Omaha. We were in the radar pattern at Offutt Air Force Base. Uh, I think we were with uh, Lincoln Approach, or maybe it was Omaha Approach. I don't remember. And so it was an instrument sortie, and I had the student in the back seat, and in the T-38, we had what we called the bag, and it was a it was a canvas hood that attached back there that you could pull up, and it would cover all of the window and all of the canopy there in the 38. So the student in the in that situation was in the back seat. So so you couldn't do the thou or the one thou what is this the thousand peaks thousand scans oh. is worth one peak. Yeah that's right. Thousand or yeah one, one peak is worth one a thousand peak. scans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there was some of that that went on, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna raise that up a little bit. But uh so that's where they would sit in the during the instrument sorties and still do. But anyway we're up there flying along and and I had my head down. We're, we're I think we're at four thousand feet. I remember that we were going east, and of course, in the thirty-eight, uh, in a radar pattern, we're doing three hundred knots, even below ten thousand feet, because that was the uh, the safest maneuvering speed for that airplane. And I just happened to glance up, and it was, you know, as I glanced up, I mean, there was absolutely no time to take any action. I uh, I saw a high wing airplane right in front of us, and. Uh, 172, 182, one of the two, I wasn't sure which, and missed him by, I, you know, I would be surprised if our tail missed the guy by more than five feet, oh my. maybe six feet, and uh, and so the student was flying, and it was just like, holy smokes, and I just, I took the airplane from him, the, the procedure in that airplane when you can't see each other is you grab the stick, you shake the stick, I have the airplane so that uh, they know that you have the airplane, and they show their hands and the mirrors to you. So sure, you can positive, see positive exchange of yeah. uh, aircraft control. Yeah, it's very important, even if you're sitting next to each other. So I did that, and he's like, uh, I still remember the guy's name, Brent Long. In fact, he flies for Delta. And Brent uh, was sitting in the back, great student, and he goes, he goes, what's wrong? And I said, pull your hood back. I said, we're done. <laughs> and uh, then I got on the radio and I made a report to uh, to Omaha Approach. But here's the interesting part. We were so close when that guy went over us, we could hear his engine. 
Oh, wow. And this is in a 300-knot wow. T-38 with two turbines back there spinning. Wow. So, uh, and Brent's like, I, and, and, and on top of it, uh, Brent's like, is that what that shadow was? Oh. I said, yes, it was. Uh, and I just, I got on the horn, uh, keyed the mic, and just chewed out approach control <laughs> left and right. And the guy told me, well, we saw somebody there, but we didn't think, you know, so he, uh, he wasn't squawking altitude. This was probably in the mid-90s. Uh, mid and so uh, didn't think enough to report the guy to us. But, you know, all I did was just for a brief second look down. Closure rates are very high at that point. They were probably on the order of 400 to 450 knots. So it doesn't take very long for a long distance to, to get well, eaten up. Well, that's what I was thinking about as you were telling the story. Uh, of course, your frustration was with Omaha Approach, and rightly so. However, uh, and, and, and they should be thinking ahead, but... Uh, you were covering a lot of ground quickly, probably yeah. more so than their, I don't know how many T-38s they work uh, up, up at off, and I know it's more of a heavy base, and, and occasionally, obviously, they see T-38s, but maybe they didn't recognize the conflict, the distance on the radar scope. But right. It is interesting, you were under positive control, and, and as you point out, that's no guarantee. Yeah. You know, VMC, and of course, in that airplane at the time, we didn't have any kind of... Uh, PCAS or anything like that. It was all see and avoid. And, you know, that's what I was up there uh, being the safety pilot, essentially, you know, watching. And it just that just that little quick glance. And we've all been there where, you know, you, you know you should see an airplane that's out there and you can't see him. Well, of course, complacency is a factor in yeah. this, too. I mean, not necessarily in your story, but in a, in a sense, uh, many mid-air collisions and near-mid-air collisions involve complacency. And I uh, have a story from the late 1980s. I was, uh, and I've talked about this before, I was flying a traffic watch around Kansas City. Uh, we had a contract at, at the FBO that I worked for to fly a traffic reporter around town uh, for a couple hours in the morning, a couple hours in the afternoon during peak traffic periods. It was very monotonous flying after a while because you covered the same ground and if the weather was good and and there wasn't much happening in terms of an accident or something to to go to to circle around to look at, we were just out flying. And I recall being west of Kansas City downtown, which is where you and I are sitting right now, Kansas City downtown airport. And uh, I don't recall if I was talking to any ATC facility at the time. We did. If we got into any of the class Delta airspace, of course, we had to call the tower. But uh, I don't know that I was at that point, but uh, I was eastbound west of, of Kansas City downtown. And I looked up and found myself beak to beak with a, a beach baron, actually, and took evasive action. But I mentioned complacency. And I can't really tell you how close we got. It was close. It was uncomfortably close. Mm -hmm. I startled the traffic reporter for sure. But, you know, the the routine of flying around the city for hours each day, droning, probably left me a little complacent. And fortunately, I caught a glimpse of that Baron prior to making contact with him. So, uh that that was one story that I've all, I've never forgotten that and and it does 
force you to be vigilant makes you think you should be vigilant 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good story. Um, one of my GA stories uh, coming back from, I was still down advance, I think, uh, coming back from Stillwater one night. I'm trying to remember what I was doing over in Stillwater. I remember being crystal clear, and I remember watching the shooting stars, but it was dark. There was no moon. And I think it was I think it was wintertime, so good visibility. And I decided to pick up flight following with Kansas City Center going back to Enid. Not a very far distance. Kind of the same thing. You know, all of a sudden, I see these position lights that are really, really freaking close, right? And I made an evasive maneuver and, um, you know, got on the horn again. And, and it, again, Kansas City Center, in this case, they, you know, the responsibility is on the pilot. It's always yes. on the pilot. So yes, I'm, I'm not putting this on uh, air traffic control. You as a pilot have got to keep your wits about you and you've got to keep your head out of the cockpit. And so on some level there, um, you know, there was a failure, a big failure on my part or on the other guy, the other pilot's part for not seeing each other. Cause we both had beacons on flash uh, strobes on and position lights and had, you know, umpteen miles of visibility. So, uh, again, real, real close situation, man. It just it makes you <laughs> I just kind of pucker up. I recall another beak to beak story. I was a student pilot in 1980, flying with my uh, primary flight instructor uh, in a flying club airplane in Moline, Illinois. And uh, Carl Gustafson was my primary instructor's name. And we took off out of Moline, went down. This was a a, a cross country training flight. So. Uh, we flew from, from the Quad City Airport Moline down to Burlington, Iowa, did a touch and go or whatever we did, took off out of Burlington and, and we're headed uh, eastbound toward, uh, I believe, Galesburg, Illinois. And we, uh, I looked up, uh, Carl, my uh, instructor was bored, I recall, looking out the right windows. You can picture a Cessna 150 and as a flight instructor staring out the right window, you know, just bored. And and all of a sudden, I we were beak to beak with an Ozark DC-9. This was back when ah. when companies like Ozark in jet aircraft flew into uh, smaller communities like Burlington, Iowa. And so I reacted, and he grabbed the airplane then, and we dove off to the right, but obviously well, well before TCAS or anything yeah. of that nature. So that's, a, that's one I also recall. It, you know, today, Chris, where there's a lot more situational awareness in the cockpit to include iPads. You know, everyone uses ForeFlight or FlyQ or Garmin. You know, we all use that sort of stuff. What, uh, you know, what do you think that has that impacted this positively or negatively as far as, as I mean, obviously it's got great safety benefits, but what do you think yeah. about on this? I, I can't help but think that in terms of people looking outside, it's negatively impacted it. I mean, you uh, you go down the highway, and uh, I challenge you to find less than half the people you pass aren't on their phone or texting. You know, my kids and I sometimes will have a game, and we'll we'll see what you know who's closest to the number of people we pass. And you know, I know pilots are the same way. You know, I know guys. Uh, I know guys are running off taxiways because they are on their iPad or they're on their phone. And, uh, and it's the same thing airborne. I think all this gee whiz stuff, it's great. It's, it's great for situational awareness, but uh, it's very distracting if you don't know how to uh, approach that technology and mitigate those 
um, those distractions. Sure, sure. Yeah, and I will have to say, of course, I've I've ridden with you in the car on a number of times, <laughs> and 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 I'm sure your kids have plenty of people to look at as you pass because you're not the slowest driver on the road. So I, I just feel like that's uh, that's probably a fun game for you. No, but well, it's a, is. Great, a yeah. great point that you make. Exactly. Uh, what what other, uh, I mean, that T-38 had to be, was there other stories from You know, that? there were. There were a lot of them that revolved around some of the formation flying we did, oh, lots yes. of close stuff like that. Uh, but that was all planned, and sometimes it was a little closer than planned. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd be out flying with students. We used to do um, a lot of solo student sorties in formation where you'd solo a student out, and that student would be solo on your wing, or you'd be on their wing, and uh, or you'd be with a you'd be with a weak student, you know. And we all knew who those were, and we, you know, in the morning brief, we would uh, we would talk about that kind of stuff, you know. If you're going flying with so and so, you got to watch out. And when I was in uh, flying with students in formation, my hand, while it wasn't on the stick, it was usually <laughs> guarding the direction uh, of the the airplane that we were on the wing over that was on our wing. You know, to keep that student from inadvertently, which had happened, going towards that airplane. So I could grab that stick real quick and, and go. So yeah, I had a lot of those kind of things. You know, you bring up formation flying. And as you know, I've done some of that with the Beach Nuts, a local uh, yeah. uh, Beechcraft uh, formation group, active group. And uh, I don't have any personal stories, fortunately, of, of midairs. Well, maybe my own uh, formation flying ability may have... <laughs> <laughs> had an impact on some of those, but but I I do recall uh, kind of on topic a uh, the worst wake turbulence event that I've gotten involved in in a long time, and I had to go around out of it. I got uh, you know in a formation landing got rolled up significantly in a in the bonanza up at St. Joseph, and and uh, of course immediately went around, and and while not a a near midair collision, it it was caused from flying close to other aircraft. Right. So, uh, what do you think about you know in the airline uh, operations we we use TCAS. Have you ever had a uh, a uh, resolution advisory? Probably. Yeah, I have. Haven't you? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, absolutely. And course it's not uncommon to just get a traffic alert as as an aircraft might be climbing up at a high rate and he's going to level a thousand feet below you and of course then we get traffic traffic and we've all heard that that, that operate uh, airliners uh, many times but if you're not familiar with TCAS a resolution advisory is something you have to react to Chris why you want yeah. to talk about a resolution well sure it's it's a you You've got to react to it, and and you deviate from whatever your ATC clearance is to the extent you need to keep yourself separated from the other airplane. Of course, what we have in a big airplane that you don't have in a GA airplane that's always on the back of our minds is we've got people in the back that are standing up, and we've got lots of moving things going on back there. And if that airplane gets maneuvered too abruptly, you could really hurt some folks sure. in the back. And so you have to keep that in mind. Number one is the flight attendants who are standing up back there. They've got carts moving around. You know, you've got people who uh, disregard the seatbelt sign, and, and you know they're in, or they're in the lab or, or any number of things. Check, you know, getting bags. So lots of you know, there's lots of moving stuff back there. And I mean, 
Todd, you're on the triple seven, so it's three times uh, the number of what you know what I'm dealing with. It it is a uh, it's something that we train in in the simulator for uh, every nine months. You know, we we do get training on uh, on how to react to resolution advisories, and and that is one advantage that that airliners have over over general aviation airplanes, but. In a general aviation airplane, just as in an airline or in a military aircraft, I'll ask the question, but I'll bet we both come up with the same answer. What's the most important traffic avoidance tool that any of us have? Your eyes. Your eyes, sure. Yeah. I, I, and that's the last, you know, thinking about it, that's the last RA that I've had was, it was visual. Now, it was so hard to pick this up, but we, we, were, we were at cruise, I think coming out of San Diego, headed eastbound. So we were in the mid-30s somewhere. And ATC um, even told us about this traffic, and it was a, a Navy F-18 mm -hmm. coming beak to beak with us, and they were still quite a ways out, and they were just telling us, you know, he was going to level off a thousand feet below us, I think. Well, you know, that in that instance, you're you're looking at closure rates of what eight, nine hundred knots or more. Yes, yes. So you had a lot of space to cover there uh, in a very short period of time, and so we we. We didn't see him until after we got the RA, but that Navy F-18 went blowing through his altitude. And so here we are at 35,000 feet, and we're getting a climb, climb, you know, <laughs> which you don't want to hear. You don't have a lot of performance at 35,000 no, feet. No, you certainly don't. Uh, so that was, you know, finally we saw, we, we did our maneuver, and we saw the guy, uh, you know, pass off to our left-hand side. But uh, for whatever reason, ATC, they knew and they gave us heads ups. We were we were anticipating it, which was nice. Well, and, and in all honesty, he's a Navy pilot, but he may only be a four or five hundred hour pilot flying a high, high, high performance aircraft. Right. And and, or had something else he was dealing with right. and distracting him as well. Right. So it's possible. Well, it is an interesting topic and and one that uh, I think we can all learn from and, and take to heart. So you have any other thoughts or any? You know, I just think that um, just be careful. You know, as you're out there flying VFR, you're flying GA, uh, don't take things for granted. You know, one of the things I used to see a lot uh, in the military was VFR pilots, um, general aviation pilots, blitzing through military operations areas, MOAs, mm -hmm. active MOAs, sure. not talking to anybody. You know, and so in a training environment, that's well, you gotta you gotta think twice about that. You know, you got these airplanes that are operating out there at five hundred plus knots with a kid that, you know, is learning how to fly, uh, largely just like you probably did when you were learning how to fly, not looking outside as much as you should. <laughs> not knowing the world's happening fast. Oh that. man. You know, and then we get this get this one seventy two or, you know, sometimes it was a Baron or a Mirage or you name it, and they'd go blitzing through this MOA, and uh, and then nobody could see it. You know, you, you just you can't. It's hard to see. It's hard to pick them up. Sure. So I know it's a little inconvenient sometimes to go at a different altitude to avoid that or to file IFR or to go around it. I know sometimes it's inconvenient, but uh, it's... Uh, the safe thing to do. I think especially in, in, man, around those training bases in particular, more so than anywhere, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. And it's not hard to check whether a MOA is active or not active. And so we should all, as pilots, uh, consider that to reduce and mitigate the risk. I, I will also mention that brought up uh, a 
point, you know, having flown C-130s for almost 30 years, uh, a lot of C-130 units fly low-level oh, training, right. you know, right. so at three to 500 feet above ground level, uh, and at, typically at 210 knots indicated, but you're somewhere in that range depending on whether you're trying to make up time or lose time, but uh, you have to be those airplanes could be hard to see they're big of course but they could be hard to see against the backdrop of the terrain or uh you know they're they're painted gray and so you have a, a gray sky potentially uh it's it's just another another possible risk to general aviation pilots and, and an awareness of 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 where these kind of C-130 units are that that actually fly low level, it's it's just good good to know. Yeah. So well, if you know if you're if you're a primarily civilian pilot, you've ever looked at the sectional, and you see those kind of they're they're kind of a faded gray line, usually with an IR or a VR number, uh, you know, start with an IR or VR, uh, an instrument route or a visual route next to them. That's what what Todd's talking about. Those are low level training routes, and what you have to understand is that that course line that you see depicted there on your sectional, that's the center line. Usually the, the route itself is what, Todd? It can be how many miles either side of that center line? Yeah, several miles either side, but but I will say even, even beyond that, to muddy the waters further, uh, for example, around St. Joseph, Missouri, where the C-130 unit is that I was in, uh, we had what we called the Pony Latin area, uh, and... Latin stood for Low Altitude Training Navigation or something like that, and L-A-T-N. And we could fly anywhere within that area. And this was a large swath of northwest Missouri and eastern Kansas that we could fly anywhere at three or 500 feet wow. above ground level. And I should mention at night, you know, today all these units do uh, NVG, night vision training, that they they are flying aircraft that are pretty darkened. Uh, there's a little bit of light on them, but just a little bit. And formations, by the way, that's another point. If you see one airplane, there's right. a good chance there's a second, maybe right. even a third. But so at night, if you're if you're flying, uh, check the notams. I mean, you'll hear at at Sierra Tango Juliet, STJ, St. Joseph, the. Uh, uh, certain nights, the control tower stays open later for NVG training. So uh, that's a whole other aspect of this that we, uh, uh, you know, for collision avoidance, it, it falls on us as pilots in command to be aware of what is out there, what threats exist, uh, in, including the potential for mid-air collisions. Yeah. Man, this is a good discussion. I, I appreciate your idea on this. This is uh, hopefully helpful. It's not... You know, like, like we said at the outstart or the outset of this podcast, our intent is not to talk so much about aircraft sales, even though that's our business, but just to talk about some of our experiences and things that hopefully you'll find useful and maybe a little humorous and, and uh, fun to hear. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. If, if you would like to chat more on this subject with us or or certainly have interest in, in aircraft sales, uh, you can give us a call at, uh, at the office here, 816 816- Four seven nine two seven two three, or check us out uh, on the web www.flywildblue.com. We appreciate you listening, and uh, hope you have safe flying and a great day. 
Thanks for listening to the Wild Blue Podcast. Find us online at flywildblue.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.